Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's out farpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, Russia's Sputnik Radio, Radio Havana Cuba, and NHK World Radio Japan. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. First, some brief reports on the changing approaches to COVID in European countries, with Sweden, Denmark, and the UK lifting most public restrictions. The European Commission has decided to call nuclear natural gas power plants green and sustainable. Greenland's ice sheet is melting at an accelerated rate, raising ocean levels. Germany banned Russian media RT from broadcasting in German, and Russia has responded by revoking DW staff and broadcast in the country. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Germany's Vaccine Commission has recommended a second COVID-19 booster be given to at-risk groups. That includes the over 70s, those with compromised immune systems, and healthcare workers. Sweden announced it will lift pandemic restrictions starting Wednesday. The prime minister said the hospital system was coping well despite a high number of infections. And in Bali, Indonesia, that island is welcoming back its first international flights in nearly two years. A dozen passengers are set to arrive from Tokyo on Thursday. Vaccinated tourists must still quarantine for five to seven days upon arrival. Tonga has gone into lockdown after confirming a number of COVID-19 cases. The Pacific Island nation is still recovering from a devastating volcanic eruption and massive tsunami last month. While before the disaster, Tonga was COVID-free. Ships bringing aid are likely to have carried the virus to the island. The United Kingdom and Denmark are among the first European countries to lift most of their coronavirus restrictions. Despite relatively high case numbers, their governments have decided the virus now poses less of a risk to citizens and public health care systems. But while many are hoping this could be a step towards life beyond the pandemic, some businesses are choosing to keep taking precautions. And experts are warning the virus is still unpredictable. The European Commission has given the green light for some nuclear energy and natural gas investments to be labeled as green and sustainable. Officials say private investment can contribute to fighting climate change, but critics warn the legislation jeopardizes the target of achieving carbon neutrality by the year 2050. Austria says it's considering a legal challenge to the rule. 
New data released this week by Danish researchers shows that Greenland's massive ice sheet has lost enough ice in the past 20 years to cover the entire United States with half a meter of water. The Arctic is warming faster than any place else on Earth and ice melting away from Greenland is now the main contributing factor in rising seawater levels. On the front line of climate change. Current studies show Greenland's rapid melt is helping push up global sea levels. They've risen by an average of 1.2 centimeters around the globe. The Arctic Ocean especially is warming up. That's led to this dramatic melting of ice. The ice sheet at the top of Greenland is actually continuing to grow, but the ice lower down is melting away much quicker than what's growing on top. This NASA model shows just how rapidly it's happening. Since 2002, 4.7 billion tons of ice have melted away from Greenland's coasts. That's enough to put the whole of the United States under half a meter of water. Rising sea levels are a threat to us all. The islands of the Pacific, countries like Bangladesh, but also here in Germany. It also plays a role for the German coastline. We're already strengthening our defences. It all costs a lot of money and so we're also affected by the rise in sea levels. Climate researchers are warning that time is running out. They're urging politicians to act now. Greenland's glaciers are melting six to seven times faster than they were 25 years ago and an end to that development is nowhere in sight. Russia has announced it is banning this network, Deutsche Welle, Germany's international broadcaster, as a retaliatory move. The foreign ministry said it was closing Deutsche Welle's Moscow bureau and revoking accreditation for our staff there. This is in response to Germany's decision to ban German language programming from Russia's state media broadcaster, RT. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channel called DW News. Next, Sputnik Radio. On his program called Going Underground, Afshin Ritansi spoke with American politician Dennis Kucinich. Dennis has written a new book, The Division of Light and Power. The excerpts you will hear are about the rumors of war coming in Ukraine, wars as attempts to grab energy markets, the corporate ownership of many American politicians, the military-industrial complex, and how change can be achieved in the U.S. without a revolution. Sputnik Radio. Joining me now from Cleveland is Dennis Kucinich, former Democratic nominee for the U.S. presidency and author of The Division of Light and Power. Your thoughts on the fact that uh, NATO are briefing we are on the brink of war in Europe and that uh, Biden is uh, preparing thousands of troops to fight a war with Russia? I think our, our country needs to finally come to a entente with, with Russia, resolve the underlying issues which really relate to energy. No, what's interesting is that my book arises at a time that uh, there's a contest for control of energy markets, of oil, liquid, natural gas. Anytime you have that kind of, uh, of a struggle, uh, there's always the possibility that people will do whatever they can in order to achieve dominance. And so we, we have to be very careful uh, here in the States uh, about overreaching. 
And the world really is seeking for a way to come to peace. And the saber rattling uh, right now that's going on, I don't think serves uh, any country well, uh, particularly those in Europe. And I think the United States, uh, Mr. Biden, Mr. Putin, uh, need to be in constant contact and, and lower the, uh, the temperature right now, uh, because I don't think anybody really wants more. I, I can't imagine that anyone thinks that a, there are any winners in such a, a conflict. I mean, there's literally talk of uh, comparisons to the Cuban Missile Crisis. Well, you know, it has to be kept in mind that uh, Russia's troop movement are happening within the Russian borders. Uh, I, I think that really needs to be understood. Russia, just as any sovereign nation, has the right to defend its own borders. The hysteria that's being whipped up uh, needs to be discounted mightily in, in light of the fact that there are various agendas that are seeking to be advanced in the name of security, which actually, when they're unmasked, uh, you can see that it, in, a, in a way it's kind of a naked attempt to grab energy markets. Healthcare, you know, I, I wrote the bill in the states to provide for Medicare for all, single payer. Political parties are controlled by corporate interests. And the Democrats, unfortunately, went that way decades ago and decided the only way they could get enough money to win elections was to do what Republicans are doing, and that was get the money from corporations. And, and the private health care interests and private insurers can, you know, contribute mightily to U.S. campaigns. Uh, that basically, it's a pay-to-play system. It's almost an auction, and the policy goes to the highest bidder. Pretty, pretty simple in that regard. I mean, even though the great mass of American people would prefer to have access to health care, to, to pay less, and, and have a, a broader range of services, it's not happening. And, you know, I, I carried uh, that fight forward in the United States Congress for many years. And there's, the need is still very great in our country. And I, I, you know, I really feel sorry for so many people suffering because this system doesn't serve the people. It serves interest groups. You do talk about uh, U.S. corporate media uh, being the handmaiden of the corruption uh, involved in privatization. Right, David Eisenhower, who was president of the United States, um, at, when, he, when he left the office in his uh, valedictory speech, he warned about the influence of what he called the military-industrial complex on, on the everyday lives of Americans. His warning, uh, you know, should be uh, put in stone uh, outside of public buildings uh, across the country. Because what's happened is this that a larger and larger percentage of the budget of the United States goes for military contracting. And it, 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 in a way, behind the scenes, it helps inspire wars and to keep us at war. It is, a, it is a corrupt system that will take money that should be used for education, for health care, for feeding people, and, and just give it to military contractors who will make sophisticated hardware that they'll try to find a way to use. I was right in the middle of that for 16 years, and I refused to vote for budgets, which ended up siphoning money from the American people and giving it to, the, to this big war machine, which just looks for ways to keep things stirred up so they can 
find a way to use their products. I mean, you know, is there is there a connection? Look, any time any large corporate interest have great influence over a government, it cannot be to the benefit of the people of that nation. We have a crisis which involves a public confidence in government and in government leaders. And the root of it is that corporate interests are, have infiltrated the government and are actually calling the shots for policy in just about every area of American life. Can change in your country be achieved peacefully? Of course. You know, I don't believe in, in, in revolution. I believe in spiritual evolution. Cultures evolve if you give a chance to. Yeah, the American system was set up so that we could try to help a country adapt to an undreamed of future. But uh, it would help if we had public financing of campaigns to take away the great influence that has existed by and from corporate interests. That would be a good start. But, you know, our system is weakened by corporate influence. There's no question about it. Now, is there a way to break that? Of course there is. And that involves electing people who are determined to do that. And that involves people actually getting involved, at least on a level of their vote, and becoming more aware. It, it, you know, is it going to happen overnight? No. Can it happen? Of course it can. You know, the country's always had this capacity to break through. But, you know, it all depends on, uh, on who's elected. Dennis Kucinich, thank you. That excerpted interview is by Afshin Ratansi from his program called Going Underground on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia, available online at rt.com. And on YouTube, search for Going Underground, and you could listen to the entire 28-minute interview with Dennis Kucinich there. On to Radio Havana, Cuba. Ecuador saw an oil pipeline dump large quantities of crude oil into the Amazonian rivers. And the very large oil spill off the coast of Peru was not caused by waves from the ocean bed volcano near Tonga, leading the government to declare an environmental emergency. Anti-war activists will converge in Washington, D.C. beginning Monday, February 7th, led by Code Pink. Truckers in Canada blocked highways to protest mandatory vaccinations. Six youth who developed thyroid cancer after the Fukushima meltdown have filed a lawsuit against the power plant operator TEPCO. Radio Havana, Cuba. In Ecuador, the operator of a privately held oil pipeline had shut down the flow of heavy crude after the line ruptured in the Amazon. Although OCP Ecuador claimed the spill had burst in an area unconnected to waterways, members of the Quichua indigenous community shared videos showing contamination on rivers in their territory. Environmentalist Juan Pablo Fajardo told reporters in Quito, quote, we see that it's a high-magnitude Category 3 spill. It's believed that water sources and third parties were affected. That is what has happened, and contingency measures from the operator have been requested. In related news, in eastern Thailand, authorities are fighting to prevent a 13,000-gallon oil spill from reaching a popular resort island and from damaging fragile coral reefs. Peru is facing its worst ecological disaster in recent history after 6,000 barrels of crude oil spilled into the ocean on January the 15th. 
The disaster occurred in the Callao region of Peru, just 30 kilometers from the capital city of Lima. People's Dispatch reports that the 6,000 barrels spilled into the ocean while a tanker was unloading at the La Pampilla refinery, the largest in the country and owned by Spanish oil company Repsol. The spill has caused extensive damage to two protected areas which are home to diverse plant and animal life. According to People's Dispatch, as of January the 23rd, 7.1 million square meters of ocean and 1.8 million square meters of coastline had been affected. Thousands of birds and fish have also died because of the contamination. Meanwhile, oil has contaminated 21 beaches in the Lima and Callao region. The disaster has also impacted the livelihoods of over 3,000 fishermen in the area. In response to the spill, Peru's government has declared a 90-day environmental emergency. President Pedro Castillo was quick to act once news of the ecological disaster broke and has said that his administration will ensure that Repsol complies with its criminal, civil and administrative responsibilities. Meanwhile, thousands of fishermen and citizens have been staging sit-ins and protests demanding that Repsol compensate the affected communities. The Spanish company had initially described the spill as limited. On the night of January the 15th, it informed Peruvian authorities that only 0.16 barrels of oil were spilled, affecting only 2.5 square meters. It blamed the incident on sudden waves caused by the volcanic eruption in Tonga. However, Peru's Navy are reported as having stated that the swell had nothing to do with the rupture of the oil infrastructure that preceded the spill. Meanwhile, the captain of the ship that was involved in the spill has also issued a letter of protest, as reported by El País. Captain Giacomo Pisano has accused Repsol of making nine mistakes after the spill on January the 15th. Pisano's letter states that Repsol did not communicate how much crude oil it had offloaded to the ship's crew. This would have made it possible to calculate the precise volume of the leak after the oil spilled. According to reports, after the oil spilled, Repsol told the crew that the contamination was under control. However, Pisano and his crew found that the barrier for oil containment was not long enough to cover the length of the ship. Among other revelations, Pisano's letter reaffirms reports that the water was calm on January the 15th. Anti-war activists will converge on Washington, D.C. next week to demand that U.S. President Joe Biden prioritize supporting American families instead of threatening economic sanctions and military action against Russia amid fears of conflict over Ukraine. Code Pink, a woman-led grassroots organization dedicated to ending U.S. wars, is to lead a coalition of anti-war groups in a demonstration on Monday, February the 7th to press the Biden administration to de-escalate with Russia and divert the resources to provide much-needed support for working families and communities across the United States. The groups, which also include SPACE, Spaces in Action, and Arm in Arm, for climate will converge on Black Lives Matter Plaza to ask President Biden, quote, to use the power of his office to pass the health care, child care, climate and anti-poverty programs that our communities need. According to the U.S.-based news website Common Dreams, Code Pink asked, why does the president have a swift and severe response only when it comes to the military-industrial complex and to war? 
In its call for people to join the action next Monday, Code Pink said, Real people need real relief, not empty promises and unmet needs. At the demonstration, the anti-war coalition will be holding accountable the powerful actors who are blocking progress on the people's agenda as they call on lawmakers to reject the push towards military action in Ukraine. Authorities in the Canadian province of Alberta have dispatched heavily armed police units to disperse the blockade of a border crossing with the U.S. state of Montana by truckers disgruntled with COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Scores of Canadian truckers blocked border between Coots, Alberta and Sweetgrass, Montana over the weekend as thousands of their colleagues descended on Ottawa, the Canadian capital, to picket Parliament. On Monday afternoon, surrounded by special units of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the RCMP, the truckers prayed and decided to open one northbound lane for local traffic and let anyone who wished to leave do so, but voted to stand their ground. One of the truckers told the Rebel News outlet, quote, Police are not willing to negotiate, adding that by opening a lane, they were technically complying with the provincial law passed in 2020 to crack down on Indigenous rights activists. The blockade is a protest against U.S. and Canadian governments mandating that truckers must be fully vaccinated against COVID-19, and it came into effect on January the 15th. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney joined Liberal Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in condemning the Freedom Convoy that drove across Canada last week and parked outside the Parliament in Ottawa demanding an end to vaccine mandates. Six people who developed thyroid cancer in the aftermath of the 2011 Fukushima nuclear meltdown in Japan have filed a landmark lawsuit against the Tokyo Electric Power Company. The plaintiffs were from 6 to 16 years of age at the time of the devastating earthquake and tsunami, which triggered one of the world's worst nuclear disasters. A court acquitted former executives from the utility company in 2019. Meanwhile, a plan to release wastewater from the Fukushima plant starting next year has sparked international condemnation. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140 and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6,000, 6060, or 6100. All the times they announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a listener in Littleton, Colorado did this week. Many thanks. We will conclude with NHK Japan. Japan is continuing to see rapidly rising COVID cases and expanding emergency restrictions. Afghan universities have reopened to women's students separate from males. Panasonic will build lithium batteries for Tesla. India is going to introduce a digital currency, NHK Japan.
Turning now to the coronavirus situation here in Japan, the government is expanding quasi-emergency measures as infections continue to spread across the nation. The total number of infections since the pandemic started has topped 3 million. Officials across Japan reported more than 90,000 cases on Thursday for the second consecutive day. 911 people are in serious condition. That's up 25 from Wednesday. Tokyo reported more than 20,000 new infections for the second day in a row. Experts monitoring the situation in the capital say the medical system is under serious strain. They say that's partly because many healthcare workers have caught the virus or become close contacts of infected people. The spike comes in spite of quasi-emergency measures. They're in place in 34 of Japan's 47 prefectures. The government plans to add the western prefecture of Wakayama. The quasi-emergency restrictions are expected to come into force there on Saturday. Several of Afghanistan's public universities have reopened to female students for the first time since the Taliban took power last August. The move comes after international calls to ensure all women in the country can receive an equal education. The Taliban-run Education Ministry said it reopened eight public universities on Wednesday, including one in the eastern province of Nangahar. Taliban fighters looked on as female students headed to classrooms in the black robes demanded by the Education Ministry. Male and female students attended class separately in line with the Taliban's gender segregation requirement. Officials say the remaining universities will reopen to both men and women on February 26th. Secondary schools remain closed to girls. The Taliban had earlier said they would create a better environment for female education within the framework of Islamic teachings. Electronics giant Panasonic is set to add new manufacturing capacity to its plant in western Japan to prepare for mass production of high-capacity batteries for Tesla vehicles. Panasonic chief financial officer Umeda Hirokazu told reporters that the production line will be built at its battery parts factory in Wakayama Prefecture. The company is developing a new lithium-ion battery for the U.S. electric car manufacturer. Panasonic says the new cylindrical automotive battery has a diameter more than twice that of its predecessor and five times as much capacity. The new battery is expected to dramatically extend the driving range of electric vehicles and cut costs because fewer will be needed. Umeda said the budget for building the line and the timing for starting full-scale production have yet to be decided. Governments and central banks around the world are considering issuing digital currencies leading to heated debate. Now India says it will go ahead with the move in the coming fiscal year. Introduction of a central bank digital currency will give a boost, a big boost to digital economy. Digital currency will also lead to a more efficient and cheaper currency management system. Finance Minister Nirmala Sitaraman says the Reserve Bank of India will issue the digital rupee. Cryptocurrencies from the private sector have raised concerns with government and central bank officials who say they invite financial instability. The finance minister says there's a plan to tax crypto profits at 30 percent. The apparent aim is to encourage people to use the government-controlled digital currency. 
China is widely seen as a head of other economies in this field. Its central bank is already doing public trial of the digital yuan. The U.S. Federal Reserve is weighing its options more cautiously as it considers risks such as cyber attacks. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are now heard from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 7.245 and 9.865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.